Welcome to listen to the University of Oulu's podcast called An Interview with Honorary Doctor. In this podcast, we will get to know more closely the lives and careers of honorary doctors who will be conferred in the 11th conferment ceremony of the University of Oulu. The university has invited persons for conferment who have collaborated significantly with researchers in the University of Oulu. In addition, invitations have been made to persons who have distinguished themselves significantly in other ways in the society and for the benefit of operations of the university. Conferment of an honorary doctorate is the highest honor that the university can confer to a person. My name is Simo Kekalainen and our guest today will be honorary doctor, Professor Eliamir. Welcome Professor Eliamir. Baruch habach. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Wonderful to have you here. And for the listeners at home, we have agreed before the interview to address ourselves informally, so I will be talking to Eli and Eli will be talking to Simon. But let's get on with the interview. Eli, your background, you are from Israel. How was it like growing up in Israel where you, when you were young? Well, um I, I think my childhood was very pleasant, very normal. Um, I grew up in a in a suburb of uh, Tel Aviv and uh, um, near the sea. So uh, we were uh, spending lots of time going to the beach, swimming, uh, snorkeling, uh, uh, catching waves, and things like that. Uh, other than that, we were like you know the usual children playing. Um, Uh, soccer, football, basketball. Um, that was my uh, my childhood. Uh, then uh, we went to high school. Uh, high school was the usual high school as uh, probably in, in Finland, uh, studying uh, math, physics, chemistry, uh, all uh, sorts of things. And uh, uh, at the age of 18, uh, like uh, all of us, uh, we have a compulsory uh, military service. Uh, which is also in, in uh, Finland as well. But here in Israel, it used to be three years. Now it's a bit less. Uh, after the military, um, undergraduate degrees, and then uh, PhD studies. So uh, although Israel sounds like a country that uh, is uh, a bit strange or unique in, in some ways, actually it isn't. Uh, and my childhood was very much like, you know, any other Uh, you know, young people in 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 uh, Europe, uh, except for the weather, which I think has a lot of influence. Uh, if in Finland, the uh, children uh, do a lot of uh, uh, ski and uh, ice fishing, uh, things like that, but uh, uh, not here. Uh, here it's uh, warm weather, so it's mostly going to the to the beach to play and uh, so. On. So other than that, uh, everything was quite normal. Growing up under the sun sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Ellie, just as you said, you received your bachelor's degree in accounting and economics from Tel Aviv University in 1985. Was accounting and economics a clear choice for you or did you have some alternative career plans or other fields in your mind when you were young? Well, when I was young... Um I mean, my father had a, a small CPA firm. Uh, he, he was also a, an accountant. So 
I spent lots of time in an accounting firm since I was young. Uh, so I, I actually liked it. And um, my, my kind of thinking and the, the way I, I see things is more uh, uh, on a, uh, um, like in economics. And it's more of like le- less, less of the, say, uh, humanities and the uh, you know, art sciences. So I was always drawn to the social sciences. So accounting and economics was a was kind of normal, even though I was thinking at some point to go to engineering. But but uh, at the end, I decided to go to uh, accounting and economics. My interest was more in the economics rather than the accounting. I I knew from very early that I'm interested. In, I was interested in an academic career. So economics was uh, the underlying discipline that I that I really liked. Uh, accounting was more of a professional choice. Uh, in a case, your academic career doesn't go up, uh, and uh, and you need a profession. But but other than that, uh, it was quite clear that I would go to the social sciences to economics. And after receiving your bachelor's degree, there's come there comes this big change in your life. So you move to United States, and you will be doing your master's and doctor's degree in the University of California, Berkeley. So, what made it motivated you to apply to the University of California? Uh, during my undergraduate degrees, uh, I took two courses, two seminars from a professor uh, by the name of Baruch Lev. Uh, he was then a professor and former dean of the Tel Aviv uh, Business School here. So I met him and I uh, I was interested in academic career. So he, he gave me a list of 10 schools to apply uh, in the U.S. because the U.S. was the most natural choice to, to get a Ph.D. Uh, in accounting. Uh, and, um, and he uh, also told me that he is about to go to Berkeley and uh, take over the PhD program there. And um, it, it was, uh, I was drawn to that uh, because I wanted to work with him as, as a mentor and as a PhD advisor, which actually did, uh, which actually happened later on. And uh, he became my PhD advisor and, um, and, and we became close and uh, also conducted research together later on. So uh, with hindsight, it was probably the best choice uh, Uh, to go to Berkeley. I had other choices, but I chose to go to Berkeley. Did you face any cultural shock when you moved from Israel to the United States? How did that feel for a young man who's about to start his academic career? Uh, not really. Um, United States academic institutions and Israeli academic institutions are very much alike. The, the system is basically the same. Um, You, you could see differences between the European system and the and the American system, but the, the Israeli system is more like the the American system. So it wasn't much of a cultural shock. And and Israel and the United States have a lot of things in common in terms of uh, uh, culture and behavior. Uh, so um, the answer is not really. Uh, you know, you, I had to uh, open a bank account and find a place to live uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, that wasn't. Uh, a cultural shock. Uh, it was something you had to do. But once you, you've done that, I mean, uh, your life was quite similar to those in Israel, except that you were away from the family. And since I was in California, it's it's about uh, 20 hours flight uh, back to Tel Aviv at that time. So uh, it's kind of a problem to visit family more than, say, once a year. But other than that, uh, I, I don't think it was uh, much of a shock to me to, to move to the U.S. 
The academic road from the University of California has now took you to your current position, uh, position, which is professor in Tel Aviv University's Kohler School of Management. And you, as you said already, you have been a visiting professor in several other countries, Cyprus, Greece, Finland, USA, and the United Kingdom. And you already explained a bit about the similarities between the United States academic system, Israeli academic system. But have you noticed any differences in these other positions in academic culture when you've been working in so many different countries? Oh, definitely. Um, uh, when I started to visit uh, European schools, uh, for example, in Cyprus or in uh, Finland or in, even in the UK, the the system was was different, um, especially the promotion system. The, the emphasis in the U.S. is very much on research and, and pretty much everything relies on research. And, and promotion is based on uh, academic achievements in the area of research. And you could say that other areas like teaching and the social activities are, although very important, they are uh, less uh, influential in the way of promotion. And I think uh, the weights on teaching research in, in Europe is, is different. And uh, in, in Europe, uh, uh, teaching and conveying your academic knowledge is, is more important uh, and uh, uh, relative to the, to the US. So, so I think that was the, the major difference between uh, American institutions and European institutions, uh, especially in the UK. When I was uh, I was working there several years uh, full time and also as a, as a visiting professor, teaching is considered extremely important, uh, and um, and you can you cannot get promoted unless you are contributing in the area of teaching, uh, writing perhaps cases and and doing other uh, uh, activities. Whereas in the U.S., uh, everything uh, relies uh, on the research achievement, which are highly, uh, 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 you know, regarded. And uh, the more you work in, say, more uh, prestigious schools, uh, then the, the research achievements uh, weigh much more. And it's not enough just to publish papers. It's, it's, uh, you have to publish those papers in, in highly regarded uh, journals uh, and so on and so forth. So... Uh, that was the major difference. Um, uh, to go to Europe rather than the US, for me, well, I've been to Europe many times and in many different countries. So again, it wasn't a cultural shock. It was a professional difference rather than a cultural shock. Um, so uh, since I'm traveling a lot uh, around the world, uh, to go to a country, uh, say Finland or to Sweden or to Norway, uh, it's it's an you go to that place, uh, you meet people, you um, you introduce yourself, you do the best you can, and things generally work well. It's not like you need to change yourself or to adjust, you know, to, to live in that country. Um, so perhaps I'm a bit unique in that regard. Uh, I like to travel. I travel a lot. So to me, traveling and meet your, meeting people from different countries is... It's nice. I, I like it. I, I enjoy it. And it's not a burden on me in any way. That was wonderful. And there comes the link to the University of Oulu. You have collaborated extensively with the researchers of, of accounting from Oulu Business School. How was this connection formed in the first place? So can you tell us a bit more about it? 
Well, uh, that's that's an interesting story because uh, in, in about uh, 12, 13 years ago, a colleague of mine from from the U.S., a, a person I, I worked with, uh, who's also uh, received an honorary doctorate uh, from the University of Oulu, at that time he got married to his uh, second wife, and uh, his second wife was uh, expecting a child, and he was supposed to go to uh, Oulu to teach a course, and he sent me an email asking, uh, do you mind going to uh, Oulu and, and teach uh, a course instead of me in financial statement analysis? I said, sure, why not? I mean, you know, I, I, I love it. And and uh, I got in touch with the uh, uh, with with the university and uh, with JP Kalunki, Professor JP Kalunki, and uh, things progressed. And I uh, came to Oulu for the first time, and uh, it was great. You know, I, it wasn't the first time I've been to Finland. Uh, I, I I traveled in Finland before that. Uh, a few years back, we had a big tour of uh, northern Finland. Uh, you know, the, the snowmobiles and all these, um, you know, winter sports and so on. So I I, I really looked uh, forward to, to visiting Finland again and uh, and to, to teach. So uh, it, it, it was a great opportunity for me. Once it was introduced, I jumped on it and I took it. So a chance opened a door to an Arctic adventure. Uh, Ellie, what have been the most memorable moments from the time when you were uh, a visiting professor at the University of Oulu? Well, uh, the, the experience in, in Oulu starts when, when, when you land, when you land and when you leave the, the airport, the small airport, and on the way, the taxi to the, to the hotel, I always take my head out uh, to look at the sky it's usually nighttime and i i'm looking to see the the you know the auroras and the, and, and that was the best thing i mean once you see that everything is great and um, and then you come to the uh, hotel and the next day you start working and and it's always a, a pleasure to uh, to teach in finland because the students are very nice uh, they are very nice because they are not as aggressive as the Israeli students or the American students. Uh, because uh, in America and in Israel, the students feel like, like you really need to be at your best. And when you come to all, everything is more relaxed. So for me, to come to Finland is like to clean my head, as uh, to say. And, and I'm very relaxed and and the pressure is off, and, and I enjoy the scenery, and I enjoy the classroom. And um, when the, you know, I need to go back, so, uh, where's the next one, next time I'm coming? So, so it's, it's really, for me, a, a pleasure and relaxation because the environment is very calm. Nobody shouts. Uh, the cars are not honking in, uh, like in New York or in Tel Aviv. So that's that's why I like Finland. I mean, it's it gives me a lot of uh, you know relaxation and 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 calmness and uh, and Finland, peace of mind and peace of soul, so to say. Exactly. 
Ellie, let's talk a bit more about your research. So your research focuses on the market reaction to cyber attacks, measuring the precision of information in stock returns, the economic consequences of business corruption, and financial statement anal analysis. What are the things that inspire you in doing your research? Well, uh, when I started my PhD studies, uh, I had a lot of discussions with my PhD advisor, as I mentioned, Professor Baruklev, and, and he's, he told me one important thing. In order to be successful in research, you need to do research on things, first of all, that you really like, and also in those areas in which you have a competitive advantage. In other words, you need to identify those areas that you can actually contribute. Otherwise, your research will not get published. So um, the first thing that I thought about was, well, I'm, I'm a very good accountant. I know a lot of accounting. On the other side, I know economics and finance and statistics. I was very good in econometrics. So how do you combine the accounting knowledge with the economics and the econometrics and uh, finance you know, knowledge in order to find something that, a niche that, that you are, you could be the best in that. And um, what, what, what actually came up was uh, uh, the effect of accounting information on, on uh, the stock prices. And, and in particular, the, the accounting standards that when, when, when the standard setters change the way companies have to report their information, what happens then? And uh, throughout my career, a lot of my studies were looking at the effect of new information coming from the accounting side and how does that affect uh, the economics of the firm. Uh, the economics of the firm could be in terms of stock price, it could be in terms of uh, debt markets, it could be in terms of the auditors and the other, uh, the management. Uh, so that, that was the basic drive behind my, my research, combining together the, the accounting information, the hardcore accounting information that companies actually release with what happens in, in, in the other side, in management, in market, in, in equities, in, in debt, and so on and so forth. So one thing leads to another, and suddenly you ask questions like, okay, uh, it's, management is important, but what happens if management is corrupt? Uh, and then uh, when, when you do research with, the, with, with JP, suddenly there is new data on, on, on uh, um, corruption and uh, um, especially the Swedish data and also the Finnish data on uh, um, the data on criminal convictions. What, what happens then? And uh, when you look at, at criminal convictions and, and suddenly you have data on, on management and auditors of companies, and you suddenly read research on, in, 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 on criminal activities, and you realize that basically uh, people with criminal convictions take more risk, and risk is a term in economics and finance. So, so let's combine that together and see whether criminal convictions affect corporate risk. Uh, so that one thing leads to another, and suddenly you have research that people are interested in. Um, so I think... One thing leads to another, and you and you learn on your way, and you collect more uh, uh, data, new data, and you use that in in the context of your old research, 
And that's how research uh, moves on and, and, and uh, moves forward. You also mentioned that you have data on Finney's firms. And of course, from the Finney's perspective, we're probably wondering, is this data interesting and significant for international scientific community? And in what ways? Well, uh, that's that's a very good question because uh, a lot of the data on the criminal convictions uh, comes from Uh, at, at least at the beginning, uh, now there are more studies, but at least in the beginning, it came from uh, Finland, Sweden, and, and Denmark. Uh, in the last uh, uh, conference of the Review of Accounting Studies Journal, which is a major conference, there was a study on criminal convictions uh, using uh, Danish uh, data. Now, uh, is, is Finland, the Finnish data, Swedish data, and you're looking at countries with five, 10 million people, Is it so important to justify publications in the top American journals? That's basically what you're asking. And the answer is, in order to publish studies in, in major journals using data from relatively small countries, the, the research question has to be unique. So if you cannot ask the, that same question using, say, American data or UK data, then your research is valuable and it will get published. So it's worthwhile doing studies with Finnish data as long as the research question cannot be addressed using more or in larger databases. So in the case of uh, uh, freedom of information, you, know, you, you approach the government and you ask for data, you actually get it. In, in most countries, if you ask for the same data on criminal convictions in the US or in Canada or in Australia, you won't get it which means that you cannot do the research using other data. And that's what makes this particular data set uh, on, on Finnish companies and, and Swedish and Danish companies very valuable. But uh, those questions are not, uh, you know, you cannot find, it's not easy to find questions where you can use this particular data uh, in order to publish papers in major journals. But in this particular case, we were, say, lucky because we addressed an issue that could not have been addressed uh, using other data sets. So it forces you to think in a really creative way. Uh, definitely. And as we've heard, you, you have a long and successful career in academia. What kind of tips would you have for young researchers who are building an academic career and maybe thinking about what kind of questions should I ask? I think I, I thought a lot of, uh, a lot about it. What 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 makes what's how can you increase the probability of an, a successful academic career? So everyone in this business is smart. Okay, so being smart is is a constraint. I mean, but most of, most of the people in academia are not fools. Let's let's say. So what 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 matters? I mean, in my opinion. A success in academic career starts in the PhD program. Uh, you need to uh, try to get into the best PhD program possible. What is the good PhD program? A good PhD program is the program that has researchers that publish papers in the leading uh, academic uh, journals. So first of all, you need to uh, get into such a, a PhD program. Then the second thing to do is to find a mentor. 
And that's, in my opinion, the most important thing. Once you have a mentor, someone who's willing to guide you and willing to spend the time uh, 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 correcting your mistakes, uh, I think that's a, a, a condition for a success in, ac- in, in academia. So find a good PhD program and find a person who is willing to actually guide you. And not just uh, read your papers, give you comments in writing, but actually guide you uh, professionally, um, uh, socially, um, uh, be your friend also. And uh, that's very important. That's very important. In, in my opinion, it's probably the most important element in, in, uh, in uh, an academic success. A combination of information and mentorship. Uh, Eli, how would you describe the career prospects of young PhD students in the accounting field? Well, if if you ask me that question, say, 10 years ago, I would probably say that um, uh, the the prospects are very positive. Um, The accounting area is, is getting more and more full in a sense that it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to find good academic positions. So um, uh, in my, the prospects nowadays are not as good as they used to be, say, 10 years ago. Uh, also, um, the economic situation uh, has a lot to do with, with hiring in the leading schools. Um, For example, when I came out on the market in 1991, there was a big recession in the U.S., so a lot of schools were off the market. So the availability of position, the supply side, depends on the economics. The demand side depends on, say, how many people graduate every year. So if you combine those two together, uh, it seems like the, the prospects are not as good as they used to be. I'm not saying that they are bad, but... Uh, there are areas in which uh, it's much more difficult to get a good academic position, like in economics. But but still, um, uh, people should take that into consideration when they start a PhD program. They should take into consideration that they will not be able to find a good position in academia. So the alternative could be the, the industry or, uh, or to do a postdoc and wait a couple of years until they get a position. Uh, so my advice is to those who are... Uh, uh, starting their PhD program, uh, get go into a good PhD program, find a mentor, do the best research you can, and uh, let's hope for the best. But that, that's life. I mean, uh, you know, things are not guaranteed, right? I mean, that, that's life. Exactly. I'm also wondering, in your opinion, are there any interesting new fields that the PhD students in accounting should venture? Just like in your case, you're uh, researching cyber attacks, or are there any other emerging or upcoming fields that should be taken into account, so to say? Well, uh, the development in software developments in, in analyzing text and voice Uh, opened uh, a big area of research in in accounting. So nowadays, we're not just analyzing written documents, we are analyzing the the way, uh, say, the CEO of a company speaks and how his uh, eyebrows move. And so we have software that analyzes not only the voice, but also the the way his face uh, looks and and so on and so forth. So those uh, software developments uh, open 
research questions that uh, I think uh, people are trying to tackle nowadays. Um, so, so I think that's uh, probably the, the most promising area of research is, is to use technological developments of analyzing big data, uh, voice, face uh, documents together in order to get uh, more accurate results. Uh, you know, even, even trying to redo studies that were done, say, 10, 20 years ago using uh, new uh, technological tools could be quite uh, uh, promising because the results are likely to be more accurate and more uh, perhaps different even. So, so we can learn a lot by, by using the new technological advances. Really, really interesting. Young PhDs in accounting, take note. <laughs> so yeah. Ellie, if we look back at your career, what would you consider your most important scientific result or finding? Uh, I think um, the, the most, to me, the most important scientific finding uh, was, uh, I think, my dissertation research, where I actually showed that if, if a cost in a corporation is not recorded in a proper way, it is not managed in a proper way. Uh, and the, at that time, the, the issue was healthcare benefits. In the 1980s, corporations did not actually record the, the obligation to pay healthcare to their employees. I'm, I'm looking at, at the US market where most of the healthcare was provided by corporations. So the healthcare cost kept moving up and up and up and corporations basically ignored that. Then came a shock to the reporting mechanism and corporations were forced to, um, uh, to actually record the obligation to pay healthcare to their employees and suddenly everything changed. That cost was managed in a totally different way uh, and the, the whole healthcare system in the US actually changed because of this new rule that forced companies to, uh, to record those costs in a, in a proper way. So I was the first to actually follow that uh, process and, and actually documented it and show the change in the economic behavior of corporation as a result of the new uh, reporting rules. So you've been doing groundbreaking research since the beginning, so to say, and I'm wondering, uh, for a good researcher, curiosity is the key. Is there something you would still like to achieve during your research career? Well, um, a few months ago, I, I published a, a book on uh, analyzing mergers and acquisition transactions. Uh, to, to publish that book, I had to collect a lot of information and write cases with, with a colleague and, um, and publish that book. It was based on years of, of not just research, but also teaching and, and talking to people and uh, collecting uh, information about how corporations behave in, in the context of a merger and acquisition transaction. Uh, I really like doing that, and I would like to continue um, uh, collecting information, write cases, and publish my findings in, in a book rather than perhaps write another journal article. Okay. 
Now, I'm not saying that I will not get engaged in writing journal articles. I mean, my next project actually shows that uh, in the context of cyber attacks, uh, insiders in the firm actually uh, hold the release of a cyber attack and, and actually they trade uh, in order to uh, get rid of their shares before the, the news comes out. So that's a very interesting finding. But, but to me, uh, it's, it's doing, again, the same things that I, I, I've been doing in the last few years or so. So I would like to switch to, to uh, uh, publishing books instead of articles in a sense of, of collecting a large body of information and, and relay that to the readers in, in a book or in cases rather than um, in, in high-level journal articles. Now we are also talking about the role of a researcher in the society. So getting more people to read what kind of scientific findings you've done and so on. How do you think young academics could also take a bigger role in the society and should they? Well, um, I, I think once you have achieved a lot in academia, it's time to contribute back to society. And, um, and perhaps take a break from academia and do something, something else, perhaps work for the government or work from a government authority. For example, in, in 20 years ago, I, I took that break for three years and I became the head of the Israeli Accounting Standards Board, uh, uh, the authority that had to reform the Israeli reporting system and bring in the international accounting standards. So looking back, it, it, I think it was a great achievement in a sense that you actually contributed to society by improving the reporting system in, 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 in Israel. Um, so at, at some point, once academics achieve uh, their goals, they become full professors and, and they're a bit older and they're uh, not interested uh, so much to uh, write the, the next journal article. This is the time to actually uh, contribute to society by by doing uh, something like that. Uh, and, and, and it could be a volunteering job, it could be taking a government job, um, uh, but, but it has to, I think it gives a lot of uh, satisfaction, a lot of pleasure, it gives closure. I mean, you, you've, you've collected a lot of information, now you can share it uh, with others for the benefit of others. Uh, I, I liked it a lot and I highly recommend that. A very good piece of advice. Ellie, as we heard in the beginning of this interview, you have been conferred as an honorary doctor of the University of Oulu. In sports terms, how does it feel like now? And what does this recognition mean to you personally? Well, uh, uh, this is the, the highest honor I have ever received. Um, I've received prizes on, on research. I received the scholarships from uh, uh, different, uh, you know, accounting firms and governments. And, and I was invited to a uh, hundred universities to present my research, but none of that comes even close to the, to the honor that is uh, given to me uh, by, by the University of Oulu. I mean, it is, I, I never expected that. I, it, it came as a complete surprise to me. And, um, I, you know, it, it, the first time when I saw the email, I actually contacted uh, J.P. Kalunkian and I said, is, is that really serious or 
is, is that some kind of a crank? I mean, is someone trying to pull my leg here? I said, no, 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 this is really serious. And I said, and I said well, JP, I, I, I'm not sure. I, am I the person that, you know, should get this great honor? I said, of course. I mean, look what you've done. You, you taught so many students. You built uh, uh, different courses that, uh, you know, were so uh, uh, successful. You you worked with PhD students. You worked with me. We published great papers. What else do you want? I said, okay, well, I mean, if, if the university is willing to uh, give me that honor, uh, I'm, I'm honored and uh, humbled by, by this. Uh, yes. Warm words and what an unbelievable story. Ellie, we've been moving back and forth between past, present and future and our interview is drawing to a close. But as the very last question, uh, I would like to ask you something about our university. And this is a question that we pose exactly in the same way to all our interviewees. And it goes like this. If you were to be asked to describe the University of Oulu with just three words, what would those words be and why? It's a place I love. Um, it's a place I always want to come back to. Um, it, it's... It's more of a feeling. It's it's um, it's it's. I'm not going to use scientific terms. Um, university of Oulu is a great university. It has it's, it's very big. It's large. I mean, over twenty thousand students uh, with different uh, many different schools, and uh, uh, it's a great university. But that's not what I'm. That's not what I would like to go back to that university again. Uh, it's because uh, it attracts me. Uh, if you if you're looking for three words, it's university that attracts me, uh, pulling me uh, back uh, again and again. And 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 I hope things will go back to uh, what they used to be more a year ago, and and I can come again and again and and teach and do research and. And speak to people, and uh, go to lunch in the cafeteria, and uh, and then look. I hope that happens soon. Um, but if you're looking for three words, it's the the place for me, the place that attracts me. Three wonderful words, and I'm quite sure that the feeling is mutual. Uh, Honorary Doctor Professor Eli Amir, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining our interview and we are looking forward to see you and meet you in the conferment ceremony. Thank Same you. Same here. Same here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much.